New Japan lost one of its biggest stars in Kenny Omega, but what about his partner in The Golden Lovers? We learned the answer at New Beginning. We will talk about that, as well as a title change in Osaka. There was also a title changing hands in Ring of Honor's show in Miami. We discussed Bound by Honor, including a crazy match between PCO and Mark Briscoe. A usually benign week leading to a WWE pay-per-view was anything but, where there were also new champions and some changes to Elimination Chamber, as well as to the main event of WrestleMania. And we look ahead to Vince McMahon's XFL and his competition in the AAF in our extended discussion, next. WrestlingInc.com brings you Two-Faced Wrestling Talk, the podcast that goes beyond WWE and goes in-depth on ROH, NJPW, Impact, and more. Also featuring fun pop culture and wrestling crossovers, listener Q&As, and extended discussions about wrestling topics past, present, and future. Now, here's your host, Kelsey. Hi, and welcome to Two-Faced Wrestling Talk. I'm joined, as I am every week, by my co-host, the sarcastic and grumpy Paul. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) See? (laughs) We're here to not be grumpy, but to bring you some really cool wrestling stuff. Analyzing the latest wrestling news and stuff, and having extended discussions. This week we're actually talking a little bit of football, but it does have to do with wrestling and with business. It does. It's all about the uh, XFL and uh, the uphill climb they might have uh, going against the AAF, who kicked off this past weekend. We went to the Orlando Apollos game. I'm repping the old XFL with the Orlando Rage hat today we'll talk about that yeah in the second block but now before we get into our first block of information and really a lot of stuff we're going to plug a few things firstly my social media at super kicking it s-u-p-e-r-k-i-c-k-i-n-g-i-t you can find all my polls there all of my twitter questions that i put out and you can submit some answers and we'll read them on the podcast a lot of times yes and hallelujah it's finally happened the t-shirt poll returned but only because of me, because I remembered an hour before the podcast was going to be recorded. But that we did get some votes to actually make it worthy of being a poll. And so Kelsey is wearing the t-shirt poll. Yep. The power was back in your hands this week. I gave three options for Punky Vice, Colt Cabana, or Scott Hall. And guess what won? Hey, yo, Scott Hall, your boy, Razor Ramon. I saw him inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2014 when WrestleMania 30 was in New Orleans. It was awesome. I also saw him give a really amazing talk at the House of Blues the night before WrestleMania 30. Really heartfelt, talking about how DDP was helping him and Jake Roberts get over their addictions. Now, this is before the release of The Resurrection of Jake the Snake, the documentary. This was at least a year or two before that. So, kind of like right when I was learning about the whole struggle of both of them. And also, actually, I was wearing this shirt when I met Scott Hall after a Wildcat Wrestling show in New Orleans, and it was flipping great. <laughs> That's a story for another day, though. But this time, I gave you guys the power to choose, and it was Scott Hall, yeah, kind the of, bad guy. Kind of appropriate that uh, we actually returned the T-shirt survey with the guy that used to say, hey, yo, survey time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That may be the worst Scott Hall impersonation ever, but... You get the idea. Yeah, it's okay. (laughs) Uh, In addition to plugging that, we should also thank our good friends at St. Arnold Brewing in Houston, Texas. A reminder, and we're going to remind you again throughout the show, live podcast this Sunday leading up to the WWE Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. We're going to be at the Beer Garden in Houston. 
Uh, we will get there about 2.30, so if you're in the Houston area, come out, say hi to us, and then you can be a part of a live podcast at 3 to about 4 o'clock as we get you all ready for the Elimination Chamber. Uh, the matches are starting to take shape. We'll talk a little about uh, WWE today, but of course, full-on coverage on Sunday as we get ready for that final pay-per-view before WrestleMania. Yeah, exciting stuff on the horizon. But right now, let's get into the shows that just happened. Yes, it's uh, time to give our opinions on the latest wrestling shows, news, and developments. It's time for Headlines. And we're going to start with the show in Osaka, Japan, A New Beginning, which was earlier this week. And uh, lots of big news coming out of that. Uh, We had a title change, but we're going to start with the big announcement. Uh, Of course, last week we talked about Kenny Omega is on his way to AEW, which means he's leaving New Japan behind, it would seem. We think, (laughs) yes. Odd that he didn't do any sort of formal goodbye. That's the only thing that makes me think he'll be back at some point. Be back, you know, (laughs) I'm sure he would jump at an opportunity to still work with them. And I'm not completely convinced that AEW won't work with them. However, something that makes that relationship a little more difficult to smooth out and to work together is... AEW announcing they're going to partner with AAA, whereas New Japan is partnered with CMLL. And it would seem that that would be a hard thing to kind of square away. I don't know. We'll have to see. But it's exciting just to speculate that there still could be some involvement. And so there was some speculation that maybe Kota Ibushi might follow his Golden Lovers partner to AEW. But he came out and said uh, the exact opposite. Yeah, he said he was staying in New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is great for NJPW because they need, like, a babyface type of person like Ibushi. He's super over. Tanahashi, we'll get into his match later against Jay White, but I think the end result that happened in that match was the correct result because I don't think they should have relied on Tanahashi too much to carry the belt for an extended period of time. He's had it in the past. Yes, he's super over and super popular, but I still think it should be some of the younger guys. You need to develop other top stars. Yes, Okada is a top star, but he just had an insanely long title run with the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Why would it go straight back to him? So I think this whole Jay White decision is the right way to go. But somebody that could come up in the ranks and be a good contender for Jay White is Abushi. So it's great that he's staying. But let's talk about the announcement itself. You kind of made an interesting note that if they're going to do these translations live, they should really have the guy translating speak differently. Would you? Yeah, I mean, we don't really need to hear Kota Abushi's voice so high. We should hear the translator more prominently. Um, and, and it really should be somebody who's a little quicker on the translation, too. Uh, it doesn't have to be exactly right, but it, in this case, it, the guy was just kind of mumbling under the Ibushi sound. You could barely hear what he said, but we got the gist of it. Uh, Kota Ibushi says he'll be back. He's going to be in the New Japan Cup. And like you said, I mean, if they're going to go into this new kind of era with Kenny Omega gone and you know losing some guys and, and maybe a little transition, I mean, look. Nobody was hotter last year than Kota Ibushi. I mean, he had an amazing 2018. Had to have him come back. Like I said, it's a huge coup for New Japan because if they would have lost him, man, that would have been an insane blow for them. I really, really would have. Not that they don't have amazing stars like Naito, Okada. Mm-hmm. We just talked about Tanahashi as well. Yeah, but you still need some younger people and some different style people, you know. 
And I think Coda has, like, the moveset of a junior heavyweight, but he's in the heavyweight division, so it helps with that, too. Because you've got somebody like Osprey, who you could argue is similar to Ibushi in the fact that he's very over, he's a great worker, he's a great talker, very charismatic, but he's in the junior heavyweight division as of right now. So you needed that heavyweight contender who could be really, like, the ultimate babyface, especially with somebody like Jay White now at the helm, who's a heel champion. Now we've got kind of like a great dichotomy between the two prominent guys in the company. I think that's kind of awesome and great for New Japan, again, like I said. Well, you talked about it, so let's get to uh, that main event, uh, Tanahashi versus Jay White. Uh, They've been building this up quite a bit for the last few weeks. Jay White has kind of been tormenting Tanahashi. We speculated last week because they made Jay White seem so over that maybe it was all a swerve and that Tanahashi was going to end up winning, but he didn't. In response to that, all I have to say is, New Japan, I love you. I love you for defying my expectations, for not playing into the same wrestling formula that I was even basically predicting was going to play out. But it didn't. They didn't adhere to that same old, same old, you know, win-win-lose formula. I'm not saying that that WWE doesn't ever break out of the mold of that either, because sometimes they do. But I'm saying, like, it's been a while. I've been really accustomed to that whole type of booking, and to see them do the reverse, I was really taken aback and surprised. And I think the internet would have been more abuzz the day after the show if it wasn't the pre-sale day for AEW's Double or Nothing. So it's kind of unfortunate that all the buzz of Jay White winning, and to me that was such a surprising, like I said, turn of events. I really didn't predict that at all. But we didn't hear about it a lot on social media the next day. Now, I am hearing more about it as the days have passed since then. And since, you know, Double or Nothing is a little bit more in the rearview mirror now, and people either have their tickets or they don't. So now people are like, yeah, that show is awesome. A lot of people are catching up and didn't get to watch it live as it happened. Which was unfortunate because I'm sure a lot of people got it spoiled online instead of getting to watch it and have a actual real reaction in real time like me i actually did get it spoiled <laughs> whereas i didn't so <laughs> yeah but when i first and i tried to keep it from you as much as possible i didn't say anything i was like i'm not going to even bring up this match at all but i still really enjoyed the match and i didn't know how it was going to end so that was still a surprise to me well and i i give tanahashi a lot of credit i said it to you during his during the match for the what we believe are maybe his shortcomings in the lack of excitement maybe the, even though his high fly flow is amazing his switch or his uh Sling Blade. Sling Blade is amazing. He also takes a ton of punishment. And he did in this match, uh, the slam on the table. Uh, They did a great job selling his knee injury. But I said, like, my thought turned when Tanahashi had a couple near falls and didn't get him. I'm like... Many, actually, in a row. It felt like quite a few. At least two. Might have been three. And then he didn't get him, like you said. And then you said out loud in the match, and I already knew secretly the result. And you were like, oh, this makes me think that Jay White could win. And I was like, not saying anything, being like, yeah, he is going to win. And like I said, so I didn't really make it known before we started talking about this, whether or not I wanted him to win. It's kind of obvious now, by my excitement, that I did want him to win. And I'm pleasantly surprised that he did win. It's because I think he's such a great heel character, and something that I love about New Japan Pro Wrestling that I think they do almost better than anybody is long-term booking and long-term storytelling. I mean, this story was set in motion long, long ago, even all the way back into 
Wrestle Kingdom of last year, he had a match against Tanahashi, which he lost. So it's now really cool to see it come full circle and finally overcome Tanahashi, just like he had been kind of saying that he was going to beat him. Now he delivered, and his character really did beat him. And I think we're going to see that change up a lot of things in New Japan. Like I said in the beginning of the segment, it was the right decision in my mind because it's unsafe in a way that, of course, it's not as big of a draw as Tanahashi for the local Japanese audience, but it is a draw, I think, globally for their expansion. And I think it's also a great payoff. And I think the Japanese crowd even see that. And also it helps that Jay White was so dedicated to having the Japanese experience. He went through the New Japan dojo. He was one of the boys. He worked really hard to get to where he was. He wasn't just handed this this title opportunity. So I think we're seeing the rewards of his hard work now. And Talk about somebody who's really come a far way, not only having that match against Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom last year, but even further before that, when he was on Excursion with Ring of Honor, he was having some great matches back then, but then he was a babyface. Mm-hmm. I remember what really grabbed my attention from him. I had started to like a few matches here and there of his, but the thing that really kind of caught my eye was his match in Ring of Honor against Osprey. It was just a random show, but they had an amazing match, and I think... Mm-hmm. It was rated really highly by The Observer, but even more so before it was officially rated. Everyone was like, oh my god, that match. And it took everyone by surprise because this is just somebody on excursion. They really started to look out and keep their eye on him from then on. And then, of course, we saw his whole character change when he came back from excursion. And I was hesitant. We've said this on the show before. Mm-hmm. I didn't like it at first. What did you think of the character, no, the Switchblade No, it, it seemed like a, a forced character on him, but... Uh... He's embraced it. He's embraced the he, the heel tactics. He's embraced that the crowd hates him. Uh, that's why I thought it was kind of funny that there was a guy in the crowd actually wearing a switchblade shirt because uh, you know he is he's become such a heel. But yeah, I mean you said it. I mean he's he's worked to this point. He deserves what he's gotten, and he deserves to be the champion. I mean I don't like using the word deserve, but I think it's it's warranted. It's the right decision. It's a smart move. He's worked hard. It's just a good position to be in, and he's done the work to be able to be in that spot. And now I'd like to see, and we talked about this last week, what they do with Tanahashi and maybe a pairing, a tag team with Okada. We saw it a little bit, and they really had some chemistry. Maybe that's a possibility down the road, but we'll we'll see. We will see, but I think it's a definite possibility because – where else are they going to go to from here? Mm-hmm. Okada can't be inserted right back into the title picture no. with Jay White at the helm. He can't be the first challenger, unless I'm completely wrong. I want to see that rematch between Okada and Jay White build for a very long time, mm-hmm. with eventually, I'm guessing, Okada being triumphant over his biggest foe and eventually overcome the betrayal of Gato, who's now on Jay White's side. So that'd be great to eventually see this pay off. And I have faith because New Japan's great at long-term storytelling like that. And speaking of Gato, if you've not seen the video, oh, God. I watched it three or four times. I kept rewinding it on the app, kind of kind of taking away from the intensity of a championship match. The Gato trying to get into the ring to interfere and falling on the apron 
was one of the funniest things. I, I, to me, it was as funny as Titus O'Neil tripping and falling under the ring at the greatest uh, Royal Rumble. <laughs> yeah, if I, you didn't see it, he like jumps up on the apron or tries to, and then he kind of stumbles and then he jumps up again. It's, it reminded you, because you said, of the Vince McMahon spot in that Rumble years ago. Yeah, when he blew out his quads or whatever. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, that's kind of what it was like, but it was just... You didn't even see it initially. No. I just started laughing hysterically, and you're like, what is so funny? You were around it, and then I was like, oh, my God, and I started laughing a lot. It was really funny. Uh, it really was great, and uh, so Jay White uh, is the champion. I wish we had a time code for people who haven't noticed it so they could go back and watch the <laughs> the fall, well, but it, I don't have one. I'm it, sorry. It's just easy to find if you watch the whole match. And you think you may have missed it. It's when they try to introduce the chair into the yes. ring. Yes. Uh, right before Brett, that. Red Shoes prevents the chair from being used, which is another important thing is in in reality, even though there were attempts at heel tactics, Jay White did win the match clean. It wasn't by heel tactics. And I think that was interesting, too. That is interesting. And, and again, like the company is obviously very confident at what he can do as the champion for the company. And I think it's an interesting decision, and I'm happy with it. I know some people, I, I will take the opposite side like I always do. I like to sh to not be biased and to show both sides whenever we can. I have seen some people kind of grumbling online, like he's not exciting to me. There's nothing overly special about his moveset. I'm not really buying into this character. I was like that at first in terms of the character, but he's proven to me that he's a great heel, and it's grown and grown, and it's developed and developed over this last year especially. So to me, I'm fine with the character, but I can understand not being excited by his moveset. However, give him some time. I think he'll have some great matches, and I thought the Tanahashi match was really great. And I loved the psychology of the working over of the leg of Tanahashi. Just, I really enjoyed the whole thing. Well, another great match was the Junior Heavyweight Championship, Ishimori against Taguchi. And uh, the match starts with Taguchi coming down in a, in a costume that we I wouldn't have known anything about until Kevin Kelly alluded to it. Yeah, Don Callis was like, would you like to explain the outfit, Kevin? <laughs> and he's like, yes, it's from a previous incarnation of Ishimori's, where he was in this thing called Sailor Boys. Yeah, it was like a boy band kind of thing. I had to go on Wikipedia and research it. And then luckily Kevin Kelly went back to it and talked about it a little more. But it was very funny because we don't really see a lot of personality from Ishimori. But Taguchi did the dance and then Ishimori showed him how to do the dance after he threw him out of the ring. Like, hey, this is how it's done. And he had like such a huge smirk, like a smarmy smirk mm. on his face. And it was awesome. But let me say this. Nobody <laughs> can tell me that... Taguchi is bad, okay? I love Taguchi. I know the hip attack's a bit much. I know you, you don't like he's him. Good. He's good, except for that. Remember when I said Paul was grumpy? Here we go. <laughs> but basically, I think Taguchi, when he wants to be serious and wrestle, he could pull out all the stops and have a great match, and that's what we saw for most of that match. Yes, there was the silly mocking, but I think that added no, to it. No, it was good. Yeah, yeah, it was. No, I like Taguchi's sense of humor. It's it's funny, and, and he, for the most part, is a good wrestler, but you know I'm not a fan of the hip attack. I know. In any, whether it's Naomi or anybody doing it. It's yeah, just, I, I know it's what you just mean. Silly. I mean, that's not my favorite move, <laughs> but I'll clarify that right now. But Taguchi as a whole, besides that, I love. I really do. And something I never talk about in terms of Taguchi, I didn't realize how much I really love his theme song. I hadn't heard it in a while because I hadn't watched one of his matches in a while because I don't watch the smaller shows as much anymore as I would like to. But man, that theme song gets stuck in my head. If you don't remember, go back and listen to it. It's quite catchy. Ishimori retains the title, and then after the match, 
calls out Thunder Liger, who's on the broadcast. So a future showdown there. The other noteworthy news from the uh, the show and really the show before it, uh, in the least surprising thing maybe ever, Tomatonga is no longer a good guy again. <laughs> I knew it. I called it. I was like, this good guy persona is not going to last very long at all. Come on, quit cheating. Ah, I can't even do it. I'm not even as high-pitched as him no. when he was screaming and forced to hurt people. But, yes, we saw the turn back into the bad boy. And, boy, did I miss the bad boy, Tomatonga. Just so smooth and confident and cocky. There's hardly anyone who could do it like him. The good guy persona, though, was better was than... Yes. Yeah. It was better than I originally thought. I, I kind of bashed it at first. I was like, I hate this. It was so much better than when Yanu tried to be like a fair wrestler and that lasted like a week that's funny that you say that i saw someone tweet out okay so what lasted longer yanu yeah. trying to follow the rules or the good guy tomatonga <laughs> and boy did tomatonga go over the top on going bad i mean the kendo stick attacks to the photographers to the ring announcer he was wielding that thing pretty uh wildly he really was but again that's why i liked it because he's really a heel that's so smooth and confident and very hard-hitting and scary, actually, when he wants to be, even though he's also very calm and collected in a way, calculating, you could almost say. But he's got both sides, and that's what makes him a great heel wrestler. Well, one final thing we wanted to talk about. You mentioned it a couple times during the broadcast while we were watching it. Having Callis and Kelly back together uh, with little things like Callis brought up the working of the leg in the Jay White match. You liked the speed of commentary. Just talk about what you meant by those things. Well, they were specifically really analyzing the dragon screw leg whip, basically talking about how you can perform that move without using your knee much. Because as we know throughout the whole match, Jay White was working over Tanahashi's knee, really both of his knees, but specifically one knee in general. And then Callis is saying, well, you know, the great thing about this move, you could do it even without using your knee. So I like that because it's subtly explaining why... Tanahashi can still be on offense, but still sell his leg for the rest of the match. That's what makes a great commentary team. Kevin Kelly and Don Callis do that type of thing all the time. They add little nuances to a match. They add little tidbits in that you would have never known before. And I kind of made this comment earlier on my Twitter. I said, I love their chemistry. They never talk over each other. And specifically, Kevin Kelly's description of the action is so well done it's not really rushed. Like, I'm a fast talker. What I would describe Kevin Kelly like is a slow, fast talker. And what I mean by that is he doesn't lag too far behind the action, but he doesn't sound, like, insanely speedy either, like some other play-by-play guys do. And I'm not saying that's a bad way to be. A lot of times, the faster you talk, the more you describe, basically without having too much time pass by and get too far behind on the action. However, Kevin Kelly is a perfect balance between fast and moderately paced, and that's what I love about him. So, great show. Great to have those guys back together, and uh, New Japan Cup is not far off, and Kota Ibushi will be in that, and uh, we have plenty to look forward to this year. We do. I'm really excited about New Japan going forward, and I think they're just going to be fine. Even if they don't partner with AEW, I think they are still going to keep rising, especially in the Western world with the Western audience. I think they're going to be 
a-okay but i want to backtrack a second and add one more note of why i love callus being back he was so excited about tomatonga hitting people with the, <laughs> the kendo stick hit him get him hit everybody yeah until like, he swung the kendo stick right in front of callus yeah then he scared him i mean callus really wants anybody to get beat up he's just an evil guy <laughs> or an, an evil character i really love that about him uh i you almost until you stepped in with that almost had the perfect segue and you didn't even realize it. You talked about New Japan Rising in the Western world. Of course, they're going to be a part of Honor Rising, which leads us to Ring of Honor. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> See, subconsciously, you even knew you were doing that. How about that? Huh, I guess so. <laughs> I'm pretty good, I guess. Uh, Ring of Honor had a uh, big show in Miami that was uh, for Honor Club members only uh, called Bound by Honor. It was a, a really strong show, probably a little longer than we thought it was going to be, but a, a great show no, nonetheless. And the match of the night, PCO oh. versus Mark Briscoe. PCO is crazy. <laughs> God, he is crazy. That's an understatement. He's not human, as they kept saying on commentary. Caprice Coleman on commentary was just so amazed by PCO. He, he fell on the stairs and he kept going. I can't even do like the Caprice eyes. They get really big. He's like, oh, his eyes pop out of his head. But he was really impressed. And all of this was just on commentary. He had a great comment about PCO. There is something medically wrong with this man. He doesn't feel pain. That's how I'll just describe the 51-year-old PCO. I mean, the dude's three years older than me and he's He's taken bumps like that that I couldn't take 20 years ago. <laughs> so it's the match of the night, but let's talk about the spot of the night oh, in God. that match where PCO does that somersault and hits the ring apron with his flipping back, like the middle of his back. It looked painful as hell. Mark rolls out the way. Oh, my God. And on commentary, they were freaking out. They were just going insane. And so I, I kind of yelped. I was like, ah! Sounded like Tomatonga up in there. <laughs> but it was kind of scary, and I really loved it. PCO, like I said, though, the one thing that worries me, I'm in love with the character, I'm in love with his brutal wrestling, and it... And it his insane spots too but how long can he keep this up for you know that type of style takes a toll on somebody you know i don't know <laughs> well again he's 51 and he's still doing it so who knows i mean he even took a power bomb on the stage from briscoe and then he ends up winning the match hitting a moonsault while the crowd is chanting, he's not human. So It was awesome. And that's, you know, I love Mark Briscoe and the Briscoes in general. So for me to be happy about PCO winning, that says a lot about PCO as a character and how he's won me over. And I think, obviously, he's one of the most over guys. Just having been in Ring of Honor a little short amount of time, he's really really gotten over with the ROH audience. Now, some of them might have already been familiar with him from the other indie circuits he used to go and wrestle for before he joined, like, a bigger promotion in Ring of Honor. But, um, man, do they like him now. They do. And uh, somebody else they like is Jay Lethal, uh, wildly popular, and he was in the main event of six-man tag with uh, Jonathan Grisham and Roosh against the Kingdom. Let's fast-forward to the end of the match, and... And you thought it was at least somewhat significant that the match ended with Matt Taven pinning Jay Lethal. Not just somewhat significant, very significant. Because I think this could be a possibility for Lethal's match at G1 Supercard. Because they've been building this Taven Lethal, who's the real Ring of Honor champion story, for a very long time. Reminiscent of New Japan-style booking, where they do very long-term stories, like I said earlier. This is just like that. And I think the payoff would be great. And I could see Taven actually beating Lethal in the end. Because 
Taven's really delivered in all of his matches he's been, he's been involved with over the last few years, but especially in 2018, he had a great year overall, even not just in Ring of Honor and the other companies he's involved with. I really like his character. I like the faction of the kingdom. I just think he could really get over as champion, and somebody's got to beat Lethal eventually. If it's not Taven, the only other person I think it could be is Marty Skrull. Yeah, I mean, Kenny King came out at the end, and he started insulting Lethal and Skrull. He clearly thinks he belongs in the title hunt, so we'll see if he gets inserted or gets a title shot as well. Yeah, but he cheated to win. Right. So... I think, you know, that's just kind of a short-term story angle. But, yeah, that was great for the ending. And then the whole big brawl ensued, like you said. That was awesome. (laughs) PCO just basically flipping on to everybody. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, that was a great way to end the show. They all toppled like dominoes. (laughs) Yeah, which always is ridiculous. No, but I I don't remember such a big group of people in a long, long time on any wrestling show. I think there was 20 guys there at least. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, Earlier in the night there was a title change. Uh, in the Women of Honor, Iwatami beats Kelly Klein with two moonsaults off the top rope, and uh, Caprice goes crazy. <laughs> he, he lost his mind when Iwatami won. So uh, congratulations, and uh, I, I guess a bit of a surprise that there is a title change. Well, yes, because it's it's a non-pay-per-view show, and also it's a very short time after Klein had just won it. So I'm very surprised, and she decided to sign with Ring of Honor again. So after all that, to lose the belt so quickly, I am a little shocked, but I think this is a, a good way to shake things up. You know, Sumi did hold the title for a while, so a second shorter reign by somebody else I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. All this is very intriguing, and it makes the Honor Club members feel like anything can happen mm-hmm. on these house shows, that's which why I love. Got, that's why you got to do it. Just like... Just like I've always said about WWE house shows, you got to mix in a title change once in a while so that people believe something significant is going to happen so they invest their time. And one last comment about the show. I want to make sure that I shout out Aldis and Caprice both for doing a great job on commentary. There were some iffy moments here and there, but both of those guys are not used to doing commentary for the whole show. And they did a great job holding down the fort while Ian Riccoboni was off because he thought his wife could go into labor at any day during that weekend. So I think it was great that they stepped out up, and I think it's great of Ring of Honor as a company to allow Ian to stay at home. And Ian's tweeted about this. If you want to find out more about the story, go to Ian's Instagram and his Twitter. Both have the story of why it means so much to him that he was allowed to take off and how much he appreciates Ring of Honor being like a family-oriented company and really understanding of what he wanted, which was to be there for his child's birth. Unfortunately, his child wasn't born over the weekend. She's a little past due. <laughs> and like you said, kudos to Nick Aldis uh, doing play-by-play. I thought he did a pretty good job for not being a trained play-by-play guy. I've been saying he's an underrated talker. I actually said that both he and Caprice Coleman were underrated talkers, and I've been saying this for months and months, maybe even over six months. So if you guys are sleeping on Aldis, don't do that because it's some great stuff. Also... I want to mention that Aldis had another great segment on the night before, which will obviously eventually air, I'm guessing, on their TV tapings. But he's going to have a match against Marty Skrull for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. That's going to be amazing. At first, we thought he was going to team with Skrull for the Crockett Cup tournament, which is Ring of Honor partnering with NWA. And NWA is also partnering with 
New Japan as well, and CMLL for that tournament. It's really going to be awesome. If you want to see the full segment, go to NWA's YouTube channel. It's literally up right now, youtube.com slash NWA. I really enjoyed the whole segment, and it's another testament to how Nick Aldis is one of the greatest talkers, and it's a really great interaction between him and Marty Skrull, and if you guys didn't know, they're actually good friends Mm -hmm. and have been for a very long time. Very much so. Uh, You shouted him out. I want to shout out the other guy that I thought was the star of that show. No surprise, the Bandito is really good. And I loved early in the match when he tries to hulk up against Malonis because Malonis obviously is dwarfing him. And he tried to make himself look real big by lifting his arms up. And But, you know, we think of Bandito and his quickness. The strength he showed catching uh, Bruiser. And not only did he catch Pier City Bruiser, he turned and power slammed him, which I thought was a really impressive showing by Bandito. So I think... That whole lifeblood faction, I think, is going to be worth watching in 2019. And Bandito, to me, could be the star of that. He really could be. And, you know, lifeblood, some of those faction members are going to be involved in some of those Honor Rising shows that we've talked a little bit about when we were leading into this segment. But for more in-depth discussion on these Honor Rising shows, stay tuned to our show because we'll be getting into that next week for sure. Yeah, the cards were released this week uh, mm-hmm. for both shows, and they really look really good. I'm excited for them, very much so. Speaking of cards, the card is slowly, slowly coming into focus for Double or Nothing, and a uh, big week for Double or Nothing on the ticket front as tickets went on sale. I think we all knew it was going to sell out. It's insane how quickly it sold out. It really is, and let me tell you that I had a personal experience with not being able to get tickets. Some of it was kind of... Self-inflicted, yes. Yes, I accidentally released my tickets, and it was stupid. It was so stupid, and I cried. I was so sad. I was like, I can't believe I'm not going to go. I want to be at the show, but I also wanted to see my friends from Twitter, because I got to see them last year at StarCast and at All In. So it it was just as much about missing out on seeing the people and missing out on coverage that we were going to do. So I was all upset and I got to give a shout out to Amy and her husband, Andy for having two extra tickets and selling them to us at face value, by the way, that was really, really nice of them. And we don't know where we're going to sit because it's the Meltzer tickets. He has a whole section kind of basically taped off for him. I'm assuming like podcast row last year, everyone on pod row got a specific section, a couple of rows but we never knew what our seats were until I got closer. So same thing here, but I can attest it sold out super fast and it was scary for someone trying to get tickets. You yeah. Know? Cause just out of curiosity, I went on the site on a Wednesday morning when the general public went on sale and I sat through the waiting room. And when I finally got into the waiting room, nothing was available, not even a single ticket. And that was 26 minutes in. So I don't know how soon before that it actually sold out, but I can attest to the general public, 26 minutes in, it was sold out. Well, people are saying, I've seen numbers on social media like six minutes. Yeah, I believe I've it. seen <laughs> one number that said six minutes for the general sale, and then I saw another one that said less than 20 for the pre-sale, because that sold out too. Right. But they're different sets of tickets, so I don't know if you combine them as a total or what you do or how you decide how fast it really sold out. But let's just say it doesn't matter. It sold out super flipping fast, (laughs) regardless of the actual minutes that was recorded. But it's going to be a great show, and obviously they could have probably done a 20,000-seat arena or maybe even more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think, you know, we'll see what they do on on 
shows coming up after that. Like in Jacksonville. Will they do it at the football stadium? I don't know. That's like really big. That's a bit much, but they could maybe do the baseball stadium there. They got a minor league baseball stadium there. They could maybe do it there if they wanted to do it outside. Uh, otherwise, the arena in Jacksonville is smallish. I think it only holds seven or 8,000. Oh, okay. I didn't know. So that's... Uh, that's definitely going to be a smaller show if they do it at the, uh, I think it's called the Veterans Memorial Coliseum. Well, let's hope we get tickets no matter where that <laughs> Jacksonville show is at. I really want to go, but we're excited we got tickets. We hope all of you who wanted to get tickets were able to because it's going to be a fun time. And we'll be talking about what we're going to do coverage-wise as it gets closer and closer. But, yeah, we're seeing lots of things develop. Obviously, the thing I'm most excited for is Omega versus Jericho. I'm most excited about Lucha Brothers versus Young Bucks, if that's what's going to happen. <laughs> I hope they get the amount of time that they should get. Because remember, Bucks were short of time last year because they were the main event. Right. And the show was going over at that point, so they kind of got their match cut a little bit. They got everything in, I'll give it to them, but you could definitely tell it was a little rushed. So this year, my big hope is, and that would be the match I'm looking forward to most, but if it goes on last, I'm wary that it could be cut for time if they go over. Because I'm guessing this is going to be on Fight TV again. Yeah. Obviously, which has time constraints. We'll just have to see. You know, all that looks to be really awesome, but my one criticism of this build towards Double or Nothing, and I like to, like I said earlier in the show, paint two sides of everything, because there's always another side. I am enjoying, for the most part, the Road to Double or Nothing videos, and you could find that on the Nightmare Family YouTube channel, which is basically Cody Rhodes' YouTube channel. It reminds me a little of being the elite, but it's not as natural feeling, and it's almost like they're trying to show backstage decisions like they're really actually happening but it's obviously scripted so the thing I don't like and my criticism is that it comes off like a reality show type of feel and I don't like that I think the build with Aldous and Cody you know leading towards all in was a lot more natural and a lot more mm, what's the word organic organic but like it had a lot more of them yeah. It was it was more real and more emotion too. So to me, I hope they put more emotion into these road to double or nothing shows and have it more be about natural types of things, developing natural matches and stuff and natural storylines. I don't know. I know that's a little harsh and a little nitpicky obviously, but but if you just go back and watch some of the road to all in stuff where it's painting the match between Aldis and Cody, it's just not the same as these Road 2 Double or Nothing shows. It's my one criticism. Well, we're excited about Double or Nothing regardless, and we're also excited about this weekend, heading about uh, five hours west of New Orleans to Houston, Texas, for the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. Big storylines that we will talk about, as we mentioned earlier, at our uh, live podcast on Sunday. We'll look ahead to that pay-per-view more so then, but we're going to talk about some happenings this week on WWE television. Obviously, the biggest story angle, again, is the whole Becky Lynch, Ronda Rousey, and now Charlotte involved in this. The bizarre little apology angle, Becky finally apologizes, but then Vince comes out and says, they may accept your apology, talking about Triple H and Steph, but I don't. You're suspended and Charlotte's in. Am I ready to make people dislike our video on YouTube and rage at me by saying this? I'm happy Charlotte's in. Oh, well, I'm fine with it. I think 
if anybody is going to be a part of the first women's main event, I really wanted Charlotte to be a part of it. I didn't care if it was a singles or not. Like, I'm more than happy that Becky obviously will eventually also be part of it. It's obviously setting up this triple threat. Right. She's not going to be suspended. Something's going to happen where she's going to be in that match. Right. So I am more than happy and fine with Becky being in the match. But that Charlotte's involved in it, to me, it makes me a lot more excited. Because I just love Charlotte and what she can do. And they're really painting her as a straight-up heel. Because she's almost like the authority's choice. And that's obviously painting her as the bad guy, which is a good thing. So for all the people upset about this Charlotte thing, I kind of saw some comments along these same lines online. And I'm going to go with this same type of viewpoint. It's just better for Becky in the long run as a babyface if she overcomes extra odds by having to face both Charlotte and Ronda. It just makes her eventual win, which I'm sure will happen at Mania, it just makes that all the more sweeter for all you Becky fans. So don't be that upset. I know you wanted to see the singles match play out between Ronda and Becky, but now they're muddying the waters with this authority you know, story angle, and if they're going to do that anyway... You know, Charlotte already had a history with Becky and Ronda. So to me, it made sense before this whole authority angle. So why not have her in the match, have it be even more kind of hard-hitting, I think, because I know Charlotte can deliver match-wise. She took a brutal beating in some of her previous matches when she was involved, like, with her match against Ronda. So I know she's going to help make that match even better than it would have been. I know people are a little like, oh, I'd like to see the singles, but I think it's still going to be good. Give it a chance, guys. Well, here's the thing. You didn't like that I used this term before, but I'm going to use it again. Charlotte deserves to be in. If it's going to be the main event of of WrestleMania, if a, a women's match is going to be the main event, the final match of the night, you got to have Charlotte in it. Charlotte has been the best wrestler in the women's division since they gave it the prominence that it deserves. So she deserves to be in it. And she, uh, like you said, she's had great matches with Becky. She's had great, a great match with Ronda. Totally deserves to be in it. And I think, look, I think, like you said, there's no doubt Becky's going to be in it. Unless, and nobody is, it's been, been dispelled, so I, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there, that if there was just the slightest hint that they were worried about Becky's injury, this kind of covers them, you know, because they can always go back and make it a triple threat as opposed to, okay, maybe Becky's hurt or whatever. I know that's not the case, but it wouldn't surprise me if somehow that leaked out later that Becky was was a little hurt and they were a little worried about it. I, I don't think that's correct. I understand you're saying it's probably not correct anyway. Right, but, right. But I don't agree with that at all. I don't think she's hurt. I think they have no intention of her not being part of the main event. I think it's for sure or in stone. But I think this is a good way to take her out and do this whole suspension angle. I don't like the angle overall because I think it's been done sloppily. And it's been done very not clean cut where nobody's the clear cut heel. Except recently Vincent Mann came up as the basically the authority heel. So again, it's too stone cold Vince McMahon for me. And I don't like that. Just do something new. But what makes... It okay, I think, is that this gives them a chance to rest Becky so that nothing will happen to uh-huh. her because I think that's the most important thing to basically preserve her being in the match. So this gets her out of a lot of matches, and it also builds up slowly to Mania. You've got some time to kill between now and Mania. This is a good way to bide time, although, like I said, I don't like the exact way the angle's playing no. out. I it's do been like, clunky. 
It has been. I don't like the doctor thing. I don't like the apology thing. They could have gone straight to Vince McMahon having a problem with her. And that would have been more clean cut than this whole... She didn't come off like a pure baby face at all when she was relating to Triple H and Stephanie. She just seemed kind of like, no, I'm not going to get checked out. <laughs> and But she was supposed to be like, I don't trust you. That's why I'm not getting checked out. But it wasn't painted that way. I'm not saying it was her fault. I'm just saying it was the way it was written and played out. So uh, I'm excited to see going forward how they play this. And hopefully it gets a little more cleaned up, let's say. And a little more defined because I want to see some clear-cut heel tactics from Charlotte and from Vince and I want them to be the super bad guys where does Rhonda play out in all this she's kind of like in a gray area because she's telling Becky apologize even if you don't mean it so that to me tells me she's not really the pure heel but she's not really Becky's friend either you know with the whole ice and Advil be comment a few weeks ago it's obvious she's not Becky's friend, but she does want Becky to be in the match with her. So it it leaves her in a weird position. Like I'm saying, I need clear cut stuff here. <laughs> well, Charlotte clearly is embracing kind of the crowd turning on her, uh, judging by her uh, her promo in ring on SmackDown on Tuesday. Before we move away from this, I just want to circle back real quick. You said Charlotte deserves it. I agree with you, but many people would disagree with you and say Charlotte's only gotten this far because of her dad's name. But you and I know that she's got the skills and the talent. Her Mm -hmm. wrestling is good. I really don't know, after all we've seen from her, that you could say she's only gotten over and gotten by and gotten pushed because of her name. Because she's proven that she's more than a name. She's a great athlete. So I just want to say that because there are people who would actually disagree with you. No. um, Well, those people are, you know. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's okay to You're, agree It's okay to disagree. To disagree. I know. Yeah. Go ahead. That's, go ahead anyway. and insert it in there. Yeah, it's okay to agree to disagree. <laughs> but, but they're wrong. Those people are wrong. Oh, Charlotte gosh. deserves to be, you know, in the main event. Um, just like, you know, when in Dallas, when they had the, the ladies on, on the mural outside of AT&T Stadium, and what a big deal that was that the women were a big part of WrestleMania, and Charlotte was part of that. She has been one of the driving forces of this evolution. I think she deserves it just as much as Becky, and I think it makes for an interesting uh, match at WrestleMania if it's if if it's a three way. So I think it does too. And uh, we say it's okay to disagree, but I I agree with you. So there you go. <laughs> and we can both agree we're excited. Uh, the little video uh, from Kevin Owens at the bowling alley with <laughs> yeah. his family. Uh, <laughs> He's just so funny. Just in that, it was funny, and I can't wait to have Kevin Owens back. I'm really excited, too, and I think this means that Sami Zayn is also on the horizon because I just listened to a podcast. They're kind of on the same recovery schedule. So hopefully not only do we get Kevin Owens back soon, but maybe Zayn, too. And I love Owens. He's one of the greatest heels ever in WWE because he can play a funny heel and still be... A bad guy. I don't know. He just does it so well, and he's so t- attuned to what the audience wants. And I want to see a championship run from him. I really do. And I hope a, he comes back with a bang. And the video ends. You expect that when he steps up and rolls the ball, it's going to be like doctored, and he's he's going to roll a strike for sure. And he throws a straight gutter ball, which was tremendous. Though. I wasn't expecting <laughs> no. that, so I think that made the video better because these oh, videos absolutely. are so overplayed. Like, oh, look at them doing this or that. That made it more real <laughs> and more believable, but also funny. But it still didn't hurt like his his whole heelish kind of attitude or 
persona. I still yeah. thought it worked great. How much how much his kid looks like him that was in the background too is amazing. I mean, he looks like a miniature Kevin Owens. Yeah, Owen does look like him a lot. So at the AEW presser, the Young Bucks said, "We believe that tag team wrestling can main event shows, right?" Mm-hmm. Well, the main event wrestling wise on Raw was a tag team title match. It was the revival uh, going against uh, Gable and Rude. And at the beginning of this match, I thought, boy, this is the opposite of what the Young Bucks have said because the crowd, and I sent you a couple pictures and I zoomed in. (laughs) Yes. Could not have been more dead. There were people just sitting with their hands on their, or their head on their hands, looking bored as can be. But to their credit, WWE actually gave those guys a platform to wrestle. It was over a 15-minute match. And as the match turned out to be awesome, the crowd actually got into it. So hopefully maybe WWE will wake up and see that and maybe push the tag teams a little bit. I've got a couple of points that I want to comment on that you made. Specifically, the 15 minutes. That was awesome that they gave him that much time. That's a lot of time for just a Raw or a SmackDown show. So to give them that much time for TV, awesome. Kudos. But let me ask you this. Do you think they gave them the main event as a reaction I do. to AEW, the presser? Well, two things. I do, but I also think that they were going to not have that maybe on the on the pay-per-view unless it was going to be in the pre-show. Um, so they figured they could make it the main event of the Raw before a pay-per-view. But I think it's the first thing you said. I think that, I think, look, I think they're listening. I think they know what AEW is doing. I think they know what AEW is saying. And, and look, they can't. They can't be in the business of reacting to everything AEW does because that would be bad. Yes. But there's no doubt they're listening. So I, to answer your question, I wouldn't be surprised if it was somewhat of a reaction, especially given the, who won the title. Yes. <laughs> but on the flip side of the coin, I think that the revival might have already been kind of booked to win the title before this whole AEW stuff going on because the tag division's not very deep, and eventually they were going to win the title. And I read somewhere that they were already slated to kind of be in title contention anyway. So if that's the case, then it wasn't as reactionary. But I think the main event part might have been a direct reaction to what they said. You say that we can't have tag team wrestling main eventing? You say we don't do that? Well, flipping check this out! (laughs) And the fact that it has to do with the Revival, who have all these rumors flying around them about them leaving. Are they trying to just make the pot a little bit sweeter like stay over here stay in our gumbo stay with us are they trying to sweeten the pot for them or have the revival already made up their minds regardless of if they get a title run or not if i was the revival and you know i did say during the royal rumble run revival run (laughs) and i said that because you know tag team wrestling isn't booked very well there overall and even with this great match i still don't think it's booked very well and i don't think the division is very deep but I think if I was the Revival, I would truly think it's time to go and try something else and to see if we can make it outside. We will see. We will see. Um, Switching to SmackDown, even before the Elimination Chamber on Sunday, uh, one blow to the pay-per-view as Mustafa Ali was hurt in the house show on Sunday. He is now out of Elimination Chamber. Kofi Kingston is in, and Kofi was part of an epic gauntlet match on SmackDown. Now, I know you were bummed about your boy because you really like 
Ali a I lot. Knew. But, man, the performance that Kofi gave in that gauntlet match, just, like you said, epic and really well done. And Kofi's somebody who I think has never gotten the props he's deserved. I know we're using that word again. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. But really, Kofi has really delivered in everything he's been a part of. He's been a consistent part of the company for years and years and years. And he's never had a hardcore title shot or title run, except for one little stint where he had a title shot. Yeah, he had a great rivalry years ago against uh, Randy Orton, which was tremendous. But, yeah, I, I look, I don't think... Kofi's going to win Elimination Chamber, win the title, being a late substitute into it, right? You know, obviously, if they had plans for him to win the championship, they wouldn't have had Mustafa Ali in instead of him. But it's great that he's going to be in it, and it was great for him that, like you said, have that great performance over an hour in that gauntlet match. Yeah, and I think that was to kind of reward him for all that he's done for the company like and also to build him up as a contender in this match with such a short notice of him even being inserted into the match so they've got to make him kind of like a viable opponent i guess but yeah overall i think it was a great way to do that yeah i don't think he's gonna win but it was great for him to get that highlight in that gauntlet match although he might disagree with the beating he took in certain points of that match there was the one point where he gets brutally slammed by uh, Samoa Joe, and then when AJ Styles comes in, he does a backbreaker, and Kofi, with great selling, yelled, lets out this yelp. <laughs> oh, was, yeah. That was awesome. And uh, when he was finally eliminated, standing ovation from the crowd, showing appreciation for Kofi Kingston, which was awesome. Like I said, it's nice to see him get recognized and highlighted in that match by doing so well. And, yeah, just everything about it I like. I like Kofi. I always have, and he's been a very top guy for the company in terms of being loyal and always delivering and always doing what he's supposed to do. I Co- like that. Kofi was in that match more than an hour. Randy Orton was in it for eight seconds, but he won it with an RKO out of nowhere, hmm. which means he gets to be the last entrant into Sunday's Elimination Chamber, and we're going to talk all about Elimination Chamber this Sunday, 3 o'clock, our live podcast live from the St. Arnold Beer Garden. We hope you'll be a part of it, whether you're there or you join us online and uh, post your questions as we get you all set for the last pay-per-view before WrestleMania. But coming up, we will go from pinfalls to pigskins as we look ahead to the return of the XFL in 2020 and their challenge of beating the Alliance of American Football, which debuted this past weekend. Heads and Tails is next. St. Arnold Brewing Company, located in Houston, is Texas' oldest craft brewery. Their goal is to brew world-class beers and deliver them to their customers as fresh as possible, making them the best beers in Texas and Louisiana. Their customers are beer lovers, people that appreciate great full-flavored beers. So whether you're enjoying an art car IPA or smooth-drinking lawnmower, look for St. Arnold beers throughout Louisiana and Texas. Our Two-Faced Wrestling Talk logo was inspired by Two-Face, the Batman animated series character, and his coin. The logo was designed by the talented and creative artist Eric Hudson. Eric creates wrestling-themed pieces as well as other pop culture art. He is also currently working on a Roddy Piper comic book. You can follow him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dreaded Dinosaur. You can also support his work by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash dreaded dinosaur. Please check out his work. 
Just as every coin has two sides, so does every wrestling discussion. So now, it's time for our extended discussion segment. It's time for Heads and Tails. And this is the XFL. Versus, versus the AAF. <laughs> That's our extended discussion. Uh, the XFL reincarnated in 2020. Vince McMahon's uh, football baby is back in business, but they are facing some hefty competition because uh, the AAF, the Alliance of American Football, kicked off this past weekend and uh, really had a good showing. I, I want to go through some numbers. Uh, CBS scored a nearly two rating, three and a half million viewers for the inaugural Alliance of American Football Games, watching, making it the most watched non-NFL pro football te- telecast since 2001 when week six of the original XFL had a 3.67 million on NBC. And it was also the highest rated since a 2004 arena football league telecast on NBC. Of course, in 2001, the XFL debuted with a 9.5 rating, 15.7 million viewers, but it dropped well after that. But that was an impressive start initially by the XFL. Yeah, it was. And people speculate why it dropped so much because the first set of games was awesome but then they had that big problem where the game went off the air and -hmm. so there was a huge ratings drop because of that the next week and just it steadily declined after that because of so many wrestling gimmicks they Mm -hmm. infused into the product like the -the over-the-top commentary the going into the cheerleaders locker rooms which was really reminiscent of WWE segments back in the day, like the Attitude Era type of feel. It was too much of that and too little focus on the football. But, uh, you know, during that time, ratings were overall a lot higher in TV. So you could say, yeah, ratings are just numbers. They really don't matter. But any way you paint it, the AAF numbers recently are impressive, especially for today's TV. And yes, the XFL numbers originally back in the day were impressive, but again, there were other shows, like, for for instance, Becker, which really isn't the greatest show of all time (laughs) or anything. Becker, back at the same time period, had an 11.8 rating, which would be about 17.53 million viewers on CBS that same week as the first XFL game. Then NBC's ER, one of my personal favorite shows of all time, topped the charts with an NFL playoff-like number, 17.9 and 26.54 million viewers. Meanwhile, the uh, AAF kicked off, as we mentioned this weekend. We went to the Orlando Apollos game. Some cool innovations. I thought the vibe was interesting in that when the game started, I, I don't think the fans really knew how into the game they should be kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And one of their rules is there's no kickoffs. So you're used to that buildup of the kickoff, but the game starts and Orlando's got the ball first and 10 at the 25 or whatever. So it's just kind of weird to just dive into a game that way. I thought the football was pretty well played. Uh, there were times where the quarterbacks were off and maybe the offensive line didn't protect as well. But I thought the football was pretty good and the crowd really got into it. On that Saturday night, they had 20,000-plus in Orlando. They had over 30,000 in San Antonio. The crowds on Sunday at at Birmingham and Arizona weren't as good, and the ratings were a little smaller on the cable networks, obviously. But, uh, you know, I I thought it was an interesting debut for the AAF, and now it's going to put the pressure on the XFL. Yeah, and let's kind of backtrack a little bit and give 
an overarching explanation as to why we're talking about football on a wrestling podcast. Well, all of this has to do with Vince McMahon, who obviously is the head of WWE. And let me kind of paint the picture for you. I was telling my good friend Dave, good guy Dave Pazeski, about this when he asked what the AAF even was. He wasn't familiar that there was another league launching this year, but he, of course, is familiar with the XFL, but he didn't know what they had to do with each other and why is this interesting to talk about. Well, this is what I said. You know, not very long ago, there was an XFL 30 for 30 documentary about the rise and fall of the XFL. Of course, the XFL is the brainchild of Vincent McMahon, who is the owner and head of WWE. But also, Vince's original partner on the XFL back in the day was NBC's Dick Ebersol. The director of the 30 for 30 documentary about the XFL was actually done by Dick's son, Charlie Ebersol. So Dick and Charlie are, of course, longtime friends of Vince McMahon. Ironically, Charlie, the director of the documentary, and the son of Dick, who was the original partner to Vince, he is the one launching the direct competition to the XFL. He is the one who has launched the AAF. This, to me, is so intriguing. So not only does the AAF have a head start on the XFL by getting a jump start a year earlier, but also, it's just crazy because Charlie knows about the inner workings of the XFL. He basically grew up during the time where his dad and Vince launched the XFL. I think it's very intriguing, but the biggest question in my mind is, did Vince decide to relaunch the XFL before or after he found out about Charlie launching the AAF? And it all is so weird because the XFL documentary, which Charlie directed ended with a tease with Dick Ebersol and Vince McMahon sitting at a table laughing, reminiscing, saying they, they wish they could do it all over again. They really want to take another stab at it. Almost seemed like they'd be working together on it again. Yet Dick's son's the one who launches what would seem to be competition in a way. And also, I think the biggest thing, which you and I will delve into right now before we get into our comments, is that the AEF on TV was kind of promoting that they want to be a pipeline for the NFL. So they're not presenting themselves as competition like the XFL did back in the day. They wanted to compete with the NFL. Now the AAF are saying, we want to be a pipeline. We want to work with the NFL. And that, to me, is bad news for the XFL. What are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I mean, that's the interesting part, because the XFL thought they were going to be competition in the NFL. Well, you you're not going to be competition in the NFL with Jeff Brom at quarterback. The USFL back in the 80s was a legitimate competition to the NFL. They were stealing Heisman Trophy winners and signing them before the NFL could get them. The XFL wasn't going to be that. So in that regard, this incarnation by the AAF is brilliant. I mean, we had this discussion during the game. I may be the only person on the planet Earth other than this guy's family Garrett Gilbert, the starting quarterback for Orlando, played game 17 of the NFL against the Saints here in New Orleans uh, once Cam Newton was out in a meaningless Week 17 game. So I, I may be the only person on the planet that has seen Garrett Gilbert start the last two games he's played <laughs> in New Orleans and Orlando. But that's the kind of guy that is in this league. It's the guy on the practice squad, third-team guys, guys who just missed it. Look, the beginning of the AAF broadcast, they showed how many guys are on NFL rosters that were undrafted free agents. 500 and about 50. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah. So that's the kind of guys that are competing for eyeballs with the NFL to be a pipeline. 
There's eight teams in the AAF. So just round it down, say the roster is 50. That's 400 guys. Now, now is the big question for Vince and the XFL. Yes, they can find another 400 football players. That's not going to be the problem. Quality. Yeah. Are they going to be good football players? Or, or is he going to take some flyers on some guys you know, who had sketchy histories or things like that? So now let me also go further and say, so not only do they have to find another 400 guys, but they can't paint the picture that they're trying to work alongside with the NFL because AAF already has the jump on them on that and has already painted that picture for themselves. So what is the XFL going to do? Now, I think they have to be different than last time and not be as gimmicky in some areas, but they're going to have to be non-wrestling gimmicky in other areas, they're going to have to change up the gameplay in some way and make it more exciting and different because you've got the AAF really kind of adhering to the more NFL type of guidelines and way of doing things. Now, there are some differences, but they're mostly aligned with the way the NFL is doing things. How is the XFL going to differentiate from what the AAF is doing? It just is mind-boggling. They've got to change things up. Look, the original XFL was an innovator for all the negativity about it, and you saw it in the 30 for 30. They came up with some TV innovations, the spider cam or sky cam, whatever you want to call it. Stuff that, that's used today in NFL games. There stuff were, they integrated. There were two spider cams at our game on Saturday in, in the Alliance game, which I've only seen in playoff games. So that's the kind of things the XFL, when they come around in 2020, they're not going head-to-head against any of the cities from AAF, which is huge. I think they're going to have to be cognizant of not going up against each other TV-wise. It's going to be interesting to see who ends up being their TV partner. I think automatically, I think one game a week may end up on the WWE Network as programming for them. Does Fox get involved? Because they're already now partners with Vince because of SmackDown. Will they do some, you know, the AAF has come up with creative rules, no kickoffs, no extra points. You go for two, things like that. Now it'll, the ball is going to be in the XFL's side of the field. What innovations are they going to come up with? Will they have a four-point field goal for 50-yard field goals, a five-point field goal if it's more than 60, something like that. Those, Without making the game gimmicky, they've got to figure out their way to make their game different. And exciting and something that you can't just find when you tune into AAF. Because like you were just saying, there's a lot of things to contend with. And a lot of people are already impressed with the AAF. I was impressed with being at the game. It was fun. The crowd was into it eventually. And the numbers show that it did very well. I mean, competing with, now it wasn't a playoff game or anything, but competing with the numbers that the NBA game was doing is pretty impressive and surprising for the launch. Now, we will probably see a dip in those numbers for the second set of games the second weekend, but that's expected. I don't think the drop will be crazy like the first week of XFL to the second week but I think it will be a little bit a little bit of a drop well and the other reason there's going to be a natural drop off is look Saturday's games were on CBS the main network they're not doing another game on broadcast television until the championship game so everything else is going to be on CBS sports network NFL network so uh you know obviously the ratings will go down but if they can keep a consistent cable number they'll be happy it is interesting as i'm wearing my orlando raid shirt from or hat from the old xfl days the alliance did take three of the original xfl cities 
Orlando, Memphis, and Birmingham. Uh, so, the, so uh, you know, Vince is now in Tampa. He's got two teams in Texas. So that's going to be interesting to see when they come around uh, for the XFL. So if you haven't seen the 30 for 30 documentary on the original XFL, I would check it out because it gives you a lot of backstory at what the XFL did great in terms of production quality and stuff. It also leads to some intrigue because they kind of preached that they were competition for the NFL and wanted to kind of take down the NFL in a way. There's speculation. I listened to a podcast after the documentary came out where Charlie Ebersol kind of said that there was people who wondered if there was some kind of sabotage by the NFL. Because when that game went off the air, a plug out of the TV truck was unplugged. And a, a gas tank wasn't filled. For a backup generator. For yeah. a backup generator. Now, how likely is it that both of those things were left undone? When you really think about the production quality that WWE right. has had over the years, how many times have it, they've had that major of an issue on any of their productions? They've gone live on Raw forever. Right. So they have a top-notch production team. I just find it hard to believe that those two big things would have happened in the same game right. at the same time. It's all very, you know... I don't know. It makes me a little skeptical that there wasn't some kind of interference. And that's crazy to say. It's kind of like conspiracy theory types of stuff. But, the, but Charlie kind of painted that picture. Yeah, it's uh, – look, the XFL was fun. Uh, they they know they made a ton of mistakes back in the day, and uh, they won't make the same ones now. But it will be interesting to see, you know, how many eyeballs will follow them, you know, and especially with the AAF getting the head start which led us to a poll question where we asked folks if they would watch the XFL exclusively when it comes aboard on 20 in 2020 will they continue to watch the AAF exclusively because they don't like WWE or whatever will you watch both or will you watch neither and we got a few answers before we go into the answers I think the answer for me is I'm going to watch both because I love football yeah so you know I now have a rooting interest in, in these Orlando Apollo games. Uh, we're going to go to a Birmingham game a little later in the year. Yeah. And next year, we'll probably go to some XFL games as well. But uh, we'll see what people have to say. <laughs> okay, so the results of the poll were, some of it was surprising, but the main winner of the poll wasn't. The main winner of the poll with 46% of the vote out of 213 votes, they voted that they would watch both the XFL and the AAF. So a little under... Half of the people who responded said that. But what I think is the most surprising is that the second most popular answer was people would only watch the AAF. That, to me, is surprising because I thought maybe neither would be second. Really, the most surprising part of the whole poll is only the XFL came in last with only 8% of votes. Neither came in third with 22%. Well, I'm not surprised on the neither being high. I am surprised by the only AAF. But I think part of that is... Those are people that are like, well, that's going to be the better quality football. I'm going to be basically watching the equivalent of double-A baseball, watching the XFL. And that's a fair statement. If if the AAF right now is positioning themselves like triple-A baseball for Major League Baseball, then, you know, the XFL obviously has the next 400 players. They're not going to be the high-quality players. So I, I, I just am going to watch both because I like football and... You know, I, I want to see the different environments and the different rules. And they may 
surprises. Maybe it'll be great and fun and unique without being like over the top like it was when it first launched. Maybe it will be something that catches people's eyes. And maybe people will be like, I didn't think I was going to tune in, but I kind of like these changes and all these exciting new things. So we'll have to see, but let's go to your opinions right now and see what you think. And we're going to start with at MJ Hart. I'll watch both, but the AAF is off to a good head start. Good quality of play, pace of play, rule changes, production values. It might depend on the quality of players the XFL are able to bring in. Orlando's quarterback, who, as we mentioned a little earlier, did mop-up duty week 17 for Carolina, played well. That's Garrett Gilbert, the Orlando quarterback, who actually did play pretty well after a shaky start. Yeah, well, I think everyone was nervous at <laughs> yeah. the beginning of the AAF game. I think they were kind of like, oh, gosh, we're, we're doing this now, <laughs> you know? So then we go on and... Our good friend, good guy Dave Pozeski, he says, I might watch one or two games by each organization if they're on TV. But honestly, I'm not interested in alternative football. While the NFL isn't perfect, it's generally what I like to watch besides college football. Definitely a standard answer, and I think an answer a lot of people can relate to. Because if you like football, a lot of times you're going to watch the NFL. Because that's what we all have known for so long. So then we go to at B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-1000. I will try to do both. Really enjoying the AAF. Why? Because competition will only benefit both leagues, I think. Then we've got at Psycho Nigiri. Probably neither, if I'm being honest. Just stick with regular football NFL. And I get that. Uh, some people are burned out once the NFL season ends, and, and they're okay with that gap of not having football. But, you know, the AAF really played into the missing of football in their opening video package for their great. first game. Yeah. It was well done, and it was smart. You know, sad that football's over? Well, you don't have to be. Tune into the AAF. Very smart. Like you said, there are the section of people who are over it, but I think a lot more people wouldn't mind watching some more football. And I think uh, another part of it will be teams that have rooting interests, like my my buddy, our buddy, Iddings, uh, up there in Champaign, is a Gator. So he's interested in the Orlando Apollos because they have now eight Gators, and the, the signature coach maybe in the AAF is Steve Spurrier, who is one of the most popular and interesting college coaches of all time. So that will be part of it, too, if you've got some guys to root for, even from your own school. Uh at Fujiwara Armbar, I'll only watch the AAF because they're catering to smaller markets, which I find more interesting. I live in Alabama, so it's awesome that we have a pro team now. The AAF is a league that looks like a complement to the NFL. The XFL doesn't interest me, honestly. At Dallas Barnes 420 says his only problem was some of the flags and non-flags, but it's the first week, so he sees those being more defined as the weeks go by. Even th- That was one of the things I expected to see a lot more of in that Orlando game was uh, more penalty flags, and there were 18, I think, between the two teams, but a bunch of those were late when the second-teamers were in the game even. So overall, I thought it was fairly well played. It was well played, and I liked the faster pace. It felt like everything went by really quickly, and a lot of people were talking about the big thing was the person in the booth who could overturn some of the calls. That was kind of the thing on Twitter everyone was talking about and wishing that the NFL would kind of integrate something like that into what they do. Because you you actually heard the thought process of the person doing the review. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting as well. All right, so then we go on with more opinions about the AAF versus XFL whole thing. At Saints Fan 51797J, I'm watching both. AAF is a nice breath of fresh air from the extremely watered-down NFL, and the AAF represents what football should be. 
XFL could be interesting as long as they don't make the same mistakes as last time, which I doubt they will. During the game, Saints fan added he was enjoying what he was seeing from the AAF, less commercials, and also a faster-paced game like I said as well. Well, and that is interesting about the fast-paced game because there were shorter commercials. Uh, the play clock was 35 seconds. And I think Vince even alluded to his XFL going to be a running clock, which I don't think you can really do that because the, then the game's too fast, I think. But but he wanted to make the XFL faster too. Yeah, so and he, he wanted, wanted it within two hours, right? Yes. I believe that was the original thing he said when he first had that press conference. Now, I will admit, I haven't kept up with as much XFL news in the past few months. But um, I'm hoping they'll come out with more and more announcements and get even more active. They did tweet on their official XFL account the day before the AAF game saying one year away we'll be launching. So they were hyping next year right before the AAF kicked off. But at least they were kind of out there saying something. And I've been told uh, by our good friend who, uh, Trace, who co-hosts the UCF Nightline podcast, a great supporter of our podcast, he told me that there's actually an XFL speculation podcast out yes. there. So I haven't had a chance to check it out, but I, I'd like to hear what they have to say. And much like our speculation about wrestling, they're speculating about the storylines of the XFL. And they've already been speculating for like a year now. So they've been like <laughs> saying like, oh, who could be the coaches? Who could be this? And what's going to happen with that? So yeah, they go in depth and Trace told us about that. We'll have to check it out and see if... What they have to say is intriguing. Speaking of coaches, the XFL did sign their first coach, and he was a big one, Bob Stoops, the former head coach at the University of Oklahoma. So big signing there, and uh, we'll see where they go with coaches from there as well. Last couple comments, at man for wwe ladies. Next time I watch football is in August. Break out the bats and balls. Baseball is around the corner, that's for sure. Players are reporting for spring training this week. And finally, at... James Tinkstrom, I'm very much bummed that Las Vegas doesn't have a franchise. I pulled hard for the Outlaws in 2001. I think the initial game of the XFL was in Las Vegas, if I'm not mistaken. And I just learned today, I didn't know this, the AAF championship game is going to be played in Las Vegas. It's not going to be at the seat of the higher seating or whatever I've been told that the championship game is in Las Vegas. Well, we know that AEW is going to Vegas too, unrelated to football. But actually, circling back around, you had a speculation why they might not have a team there. It's because the Raiders are moving there eventually. So maybe the XFL doesn't want to have a team there because of the direct team in the other bigger market, obviously, for the NFL. Yeah, although that hasn't scared off Vince. He's gone into places that do have NFL teams with the XFL. Yes, but, but this would be a move like where they have to reestablish. So reestablishing two teams right. in a new area is a lot different than coming into an already established area trying to satisfy unsatisfied fans. Yeah, when they came so into Las different. Vegas, there were no pro teams uh, other than minor league baseball or whatever. Now you've got the uh, NHL's Golden Knights, and then you're going to have the Raiders in 2020. And certainly you don't want to be coming into the Las Vegas the same time as the Raiders because the Raiders are obviously going to have this sparkling new stadium and everything else in Las Vegas. Some great comments, and before we wrap up the discussion, I do want to put a little footnote. I'm not actually sure if the ratings dropped in the original XFL from week one to week two or week two to week three. So let me just say that I'm not sure which is correct, but I know they had a big ratings drop very soon after they launched because of bad production in either the first or the second set of games. I'm just not sure if it's week one no, to two or two to three. It was big drop from one to two, and it went steadily downhill ever since. 
I remember joking with my buddy, well, they can't get any lower than they got last week, and yeah. then they did. So, <laughs> yeah. So it certainly did not go oh. well down the stretch for the XFL. You mentioned it the other day, and the best part of the documentary and the best part of the XFL was the nicknames on the back. Now, I don't know if Vince is going to go for that again because it's more wrestling-like, and he's trying to steer away from that, but I'd love to see the nicknames come back. He hate me. Yeah. Come on. That's the best part of the league. He's, he's going to have to do some gimmicks for sure. Uh, just, again, not the two wrestling gimmicky stuff. Right, like the cheerleader stuff, which I don't think he even said he wants it to be more family-oriented. So we'll have to see what all these changes mean and if you could still compete with not only the NFL this time, but the AAF. But now it's time to uh, close out the show and send them home. Now, what do you got? Well, I have been really behind on my podcast listening, <laughs> but luckily I was able to catch up recently. And the first thing I delved into was Chris Jericho's podcast interview with one of my faves ever, Sami Zayn. And we talked about him a tiny bit in the beginning of the show when we were talking about Kevin Owens probably returning pretty soon. Sami Zayn in this podcast interview was talking about how he and Kevin Owens were on the same track Basically, with their recovery, they'll probably be returning around the same time, he thinks, at that point. This was recorded, I think, in November, and it aired right before Christmas time. So it's an older podcast episode, but I loved it. I can't say enough great things about it. Every time Sami Zayn has been on Chris Jericho's podcast, Talk is Jericho, it's been great. He's hilarious. He's really thoughtful and analytical, a lot like me, actually. <laughs> I think if I knew Sami Zayn, we'd get along great. He loves ska music. He comes to the ring and he skanks, which is what you call dancing to ska music. <laughs> I love ska music. It's my favorite, and I have skanked before. So I think it's so cool that Sami comes to the ring that way, and that's one of the reasons why I love him so much. But uh, love to hear from him and how he was doing. Some interesting things. He was saying that he wasn't really missing wrestling so much. He wasn't feeling the bug to get back right away. He also kind of mentioned how he is a little worried about getting back into the grind of everything. He wants to go back and be different and not like fall into the same pitfalls, like just doing a match and getting through it on TV. And he's kind of worried about just getting back into the groove, basically falling into those same traps. Kind of made me think in the back of my head, would he be somebody who would want to go to AEW eventually? <laughs> but I don't know. He seems to be pretty happy in WWE. And of course his friends are there and he could do his charity work through WWE, so I think that makes him more apt to stay, but this is just me pipe-dreaming. I love Sami <laughs> Zayn. So something I'm really excited and I want to do for the future for our podcast and our coverage, I want to have more wrestler specials. Specials just about one wrestler where we basically talk about some of the podcasts they've done, some of the articles written about them, and some of their best matches throughout their whole career. Sami Zayn is one that I want to do. Suzuki is one. We already have done one on the Young Bucks and their career and how they've influenced what we're seeing right now in the wrestling landscape. We did that live at StarCast last year. Look out, we'll probably do another live podcast this year at either StarCast or After Double or Nothing, or we'll have to see. But we're definitely going to do some kind of coverage there, whether it's live and also a taped podcast. We might do both, or we might just do one. We'll have to see. But look out. I'm wanting to do a Sami Zayn special, and I think it would be a lot of fun. And uh, I guess I'm going to close out the show with a reminder. As we uh, did the XFL discussion, we are going to be in an XFL city next uh, or later this week, I should say, uh, the Elimination Chamber in Houston. So we want to remind you once again, live podcast at 3 o'clock Central Time. From the St. Arnold Beer Garden, we'll do a meet and greet at 2.30. If you want to come by, say hi. 
We're going to have uh, giveaways. We're going to have uh, some prizes. We want you to be a part of the podcast, so we'll get you on camera behind us asking questions. So it's going to be a fun time. We'll obviously partake of some delicious St. Arnold beer, and uh, it'll be great leading up to this historic pay-per-view Elimination Chamber where the first women's tag team title holders will be determined in an Elimination Chamber, and then the SmackDown WWE title will be determined in an Elimination Chamber as well. So we'll be enjoying some beer, but hopefully not so much so that we'll see a repeat of what happened after All In, where I was going crazy dancing like a lunatic to Downstate (laughs) at the All In after party. If you guys follow me on Twitter at SuperKickingIt, I released that video that Paul sneakily took of me during the after party of All In, where I'm bouncing around, literally the only person in the room dancing. So hopefully we don't see a repeat of that when I'm drinking a lot of beer, probably, (laughs) during our pre-elimination chamber event at St. Arnold's Beer Garden. So we look forward to that. We can't wait to get over to Houston. Uh, We have not seen the St. Arnold Beer Garden yet, and so we're looking forward to uh, seeing what it's all about. It's supposed to be a beautiful day. Of course, the way the weather changes, who knows, but it's supposed to be a beautiful day in Houston, and uh, we can't wait to be there and can't wait to go to Toyota Center for the Elimination Chamber. Of course, we will talk about the Elimination Chamber next week on this podcast and what happened there, Uh, and again, our podcast special live edition three o'clock central time from houston on sunday we hope to see you there but if you can't attend in person then please tune in live through wrestling inc it'll probably be on their youtube stay tuned and you could watch us and still interact just as easily as if you were there just through online the magic of the internet (laughs) but we really appreciate your time right now So thanks so much for spending the time with us, listening to us, or viewing us if you're checking us out on YouTube. We had a fun little football discussion. Hopefully you didn't mind us kind of segueing away from wrestling for a little bit. But don't worry, we'll have lots more wrestling next week. It'll be an all-wrestling show. And that's it for us. That's the finish. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.